Hello, performance professionals, and welcome to the Leaders Performance Podcast, a special behind-the-scenes edition from the Leaders Sport Performance Summit in LA, hosted at the beginning of March by the wonderful men and women of Red Bull Media House, Santa Monica, Los Angeles, California. Before I go on to tell you about what's coming up in the podcast, a note on things you really must do. A. Check out a whole heap of bleeding-edge insight, original research, interviews, videos, and other great stuff on the Leaders Performance Institute. Visit leadersinsport.com today. B. Why not sign up to become a member of said Leaders Performance Institute? You'll get all that mission-critical content produced and distributed daily at your fingertips, as well as access to our exclusive members' events and summits. Coming up, Chicago on the 27th and 28th of June, New York on the 29th of August, and London on the 6th and 7th of November. Sign up today. Do not miss out. Right, enough with the fluff. Let's get on with the stuff. Here's what you can expect in this package of behind-the-scenes interviews from LA. First up, Andy Walsh, head of high performance at Red Bull, on the facility in Santa Monica, working with the US America's Cup team and the future of Red Bull's involvement in esports. Second up, Sam Walker, a Wall Street Journal veteran uh, and author of new book, The Captain Class. Sam talks about Donald Trump as a leader and the traits of transformative leadership and how real leaders aren't necessarily what you'd expect. Next, we've got Alex Van Pelt, quarterback coach at the Green Bay Packers NFL team. He talks, amongst other things, about Aaron Rodgers' incredible trivia skills. Following that, Travis Preston, Dean of the School of Theatre at the California Institute of Arts. Uh, Travis talks about motivating star performers, or at least activating the space of not caring what anybody thinks to relieve the pressure of having to perform. Following that, Clay Helton, Coach Clay Helton, head coach at uh, the USC Trojans football program uh, on engaging with young players and how to deliver bite-sized, impactful lessons uh, to increasingly distracted minds. And finally, uh, fan favourite, or at least uh, the Leaders Performance Podcast favourite, Dara Harris, on how to distill the lessons from an event like the Leaders Sport Performance Summit and advice for doing something each day that scares you. Andy Walsh, Director of High Performance here at Red Bull. We're at your beautiful uh, facility here in sunny uh, LA. What have we got here? You know, we're standing in the middle of the Red Bull Media House. Uh, you know, they've just refitted it a little to sort of take care of the big content mm-hmm. pieces they're pulling together. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, another sunny day in LA. Nothing to be uh, too excited about, but yeah, really cool. What have we got in the building here? Obviously, Red Bull Media House. There's um, uh, huge posters of uh, issues of Red Bulletin uh, on, on the walls. a fantastic magazine. Is it marketing, content production, as well as performance in this building? Yeah, there's, there's a few functions. The main function is the media house function so content development as part of that you have the red bulletin and that's housed here and then we have a the back corner you know that's where the performance group hangs out but it's really inspiring every day to work in an environment when they're sort of telling the stories and we're back there trying to understand the stories yeah a couple of projects i want to specifically ask you about um there's a a beautiful photo of um the Oracle America's Cup boat uh up on the uh up on the wall just uh, behind us um 
What are you doing for those guys leading into uh, the event this year? You know, those guys uh, under Jimmy's command have a staggering team. I mean, they really have a full-flown program running down there in Bermuda. Uh, we're fortunate at times to come in for different elements of their training, just mm -hmm. where ideas sort of meet. Uh, last thing we did with them was uh, part of our surf survival, so the underwater breath hold. That was uh, that was a thrill, man. Those mm -hmm. those guys fit strong, and they mm -hmm. really pushed it. It was mm -hmm. exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and then second thing I wanted to ask you about esports. Uh, in this building, you have a little. Well, it's more than a little cubby hole. It's uh, I think you call it the esports lab. Esports studio. The esports studio. You've yep. got uh, you've got all the kit in there. You've got amazing seats, amazing keyboards, cutting edge stuff, as you'd imagine from Red Bull. What are you seeing and what are you doing in the esports space now? So the esports program, I think it's around seven or eight years old now. Mm. Um, they've been growing and developing. There's an event piece to it. There's the player and team piece of it. Mm. Uh, of again, there's the content play around it. I think uh, for us, it's uh, as I mentioned at Leaders a couple of years ago, it's trying to understand these extraordinary performers in their space. Mm -hmm. What are they doing to allow them to compete at the highest levels in the world? And mostly, how can we, un through that understanding, develop them if we potentially can assist in their program and performance, mm -hmm. and then take what we learn from them and apply it back to our other performance mm -hmm. populations, the athletes included. Mm -hmm. uh, Red Bull, obviously, uh, known, renowned for being sort of cutting edge, finding what's next before it happens and putting it out there. Can you give us an indication of what you've got in the pipeline, <laughs> special projects coming up over the next year or so? Well, you know, I think on the eSports line, uh, what's really uh, um, interesting for us right now and a big investment is the sort of what we call the cognitive athlete program. How do we enhance sort of the sort of, yeah, if you go mind and body sort of comparison, how do we look at the, the mind piece? And there's a whole team of individuals, both internally and externally, that, that are really f fascinated with this sort of topic. And we've pulled together a, a, an amazing group who are going to sort of try and help us pioneer some new training models and technologies specifically devoted to that community. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, as usual, I'm on the sidelines just amazed at what they're trying to pull off. But it, it's really bringing a lot of neuroscience, a lot of behavioral psychology, a lot of classical you know, sort of coaching and performance techniques from sort of the athletic world and sort of trying to mishmash it all together in the in the esports space finally Andy um, we're asking everyone at the moment everyone who works in the performance space to sort of uh, reveal to us what they believe their biggest mistake uh, in, in their career has been Oh, biggest mistake oh, oh there's so many um, my biggest mistake I'm trying to think of them there's some been really notable ones you know a few years ago I think we were sort of pushing really hard with the talent we're trying to um, sort of train for that next big thing in the um, uh, in the uh, snowmobile sled space okay. and we're training into a big foam pit and what we did was I think we we're all interested in getting that next double out the next big big move and uh, I, I'm, unfortunately in, into the foam pit one day the, uh, the, the the throttle stuck open the sled buried itself and caught, put the whole thing on fire, burnt the facility down. Crikey. So I think um, that's up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> insurance though, insurance. It, it, well, it's, the terrifying part was it was the second time we'd done it. So oh. at that point we were like, all right, this, yeah. we're pushing too hard here. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, no, that's, no third time lucky for that one. No, no, people are, everyone's excited and yeah, and, and, that, and that energy was high, but just when people start to get that sort of level of risk, it's up yeah. there, it's not, it's not the place to be. So. Okay. Andy yeah. Walsh, thank you very much indeed. Oh, you're Cheers. welcome, mate. Cheers. Donald Trump, obviously the new president. Um, the Captain Class, obviously the new book that you've written. What sort of leader 
is Donald Trump and does he display the leadership characteristics that you uh, go into depth on in yeah. the book? I've given this a lot of thought, obviously. Um, you know, it's not my place to, to weigh in on, you know, Trump as someone who covers him and is involved in Trump coverage and my personal views of, uh, of his politics. But, you know, I, I don't think he exhibits a lot of these characteristics. Mm. Um, I think it's pretty clear. Mm. In fact, um, we don't really know. I mean, I think we have to see how he runs his, how he runs the White House. Mm. And, uh, you know, he has been putting in long hours and he's been rolling up his sleeves. Um, he's obviously, uh, there's been a lot of drama. Um, a lot of it is things that have been leaked and it's hard to kind of separate the truth from fiction. I, I don't, he, he's, he does not strike me in any, in any way as one of these types of leaders. I think in fairness though, you know, the presidency is a weird thing. Mm. I, I'm not sure how much my uh, study, which is really about teams that perform together, can be used in the context of something like the presidency. I think it is fair, though, to look at the way he runs the White House and mm. to look at the operation of the of mm. the executive branch under his leadership. And I think those are separate things. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the politician campaigning is different from someone actually running an operation. So I would really want to drill down into how he runs the White House and, and, and to see if he has any of these traits. On the surface, no. Okay. I don't think he does. Yeah. But uh, Back on solid ground, then. Yeah. Um, what are those traits? What are the, the key traits of a leader, do you think? And then um, maybe if you could develop that and, and talk about how you portray them in the in the book. Right. Um, let me just take a quick yeah, go for it. Uh, so what I discovered uh, when I looked at the 16 greatest teams was uh, really the only thing that they had in common um, was uh, the presence of this one player who was there at the beginning or at the end of their winning streak and in many cases overlap precisely. And this player was, in all cases, either uh, was or would become the captain of the team. So the only uh, quality that correlated perfectly with this level of success was leadership. So what I did was, was study these people uh, very closely and to look at their characteristics. And it was really shocking to me immediately that they were not at all what I pictured leaders to be. Um, most of us, if given a chance to build a perfect team captain, would pick someone who's a superstar performer, um, someone who's charismatic, who uh, is, is great at giving motivating speeches, uh, is a diplomat who always creates consensus on the team, is loyal to the team, and um, also a role model for uh, sportsmanship and fair play. Uh, none of those things mattered. In fact, all of, none of that, one of them it's not that they weren't helpful, but none of them mattered. None of, the, none of them were things that, that re reflected all of these captains. The captains had seven traits in the end that were all very, um, very similar. Um, and and I, may, I may miss one in my uh, taking them off here. But um, the first one was this doggedness and incredible focus and competition to extreme levels. I mean, these people gave so much effort either um, through their fitness uh, or through playing through injuries at a level that's really rarely seen. Um, they were also, uh, they weren't superstars. Some of them were, were star players, but the majority of them were not. They were actually role players. And they were very comfortable to play supporting roles on the team and carry water for the, for the other players. Mm -hmm. They led from the back, not from the front. They weren't the people who took the big shot with the game on the line. Uh, and they were very content with that uh, and not at all interested in the trappings of fame and celebrity. Mm -hmm. um, another uh, thing that was interesting about them was that they uh, they they played um, they they their communication style was was interesting. So none of them gave speeches. 
which really surprised me. There were no big motivational locker room speeches. These people, um, they, they prefer to communicate in a very uh, uh, practical way. They, they were talkative inside their teams, but really in terms of talking about what was happening and what adjustments they had to make, they avoided locker room addresses and trying to motivate people that way. Um, another quality was that they, they all did incredibly dramatic things uh, in pressure situations that were um, clearly attempts to non-verbally communicate with their, with their teammates. Uh, big expressions of passion or commitment um, that would uh, reach people at a deeper level. And science has shown that there's this kind of neural network that connects all of us through emotion. And, and these, they seem to be masters of tapping into that when it was really important. So they realized there was another way to communicate as well. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that was interesting about them was that they uh, they were very they could be very divisive. I mean, they could, they could really be uh, a pain in the ass for managers. These guys uh, and the, and the women as well. There were women in, in the group, but they um, they would they would rush to uh, defend principle against anyone, whether it was referees, the coaches, or teammates. Uh, if they thought anything was getting in the way of winning, they would immediately dissent and, and create conflict. Mm. Um, but it was a kind of conflict that was really based on the, what the team was doing. It was task conflict, not personal. They didn't, they didn't make personal attacks. They, they would always, um, all, everything they did and all their criticisms were based on how the team was going about its business. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that was, was interesting was they had this incredible ironclad emotional control um, an ex to extreme levels. They were able to block out some of the most um, difficult things they had ever faced and not just play well, but play at the same level that they had played. Um, they had almost a kill switch for negative emotions. Something bad would happen to them or um, they would have some tough situation. They would be able to just shut it off completely and, and, and play it at, at the same level or better than they would have normally. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a, a characteristic they all showed. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, a lot of captains who missed out on this level, um, Roy Keane is an example and Michael Jordan as well, kind of lacked that emotional control. They, they, they lost it at times and weren't able to, to corral it in the right way. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some of the traits that, that these mm -hmm. uh, captains have. And, and the picture, when you look at it, is not at all what you would imagine. Well, you, you mentioned in your, in your talk um, that we, we, we do have this idea, this collective idea of what a leader, what a captain looks like. And we're all sort of sitting there waiting for, the, as you say, this unicorn to, to walk in and come and lift us up and uh, take us to whatever our destiny is as a team. Right. Um, when really we should be looking at the more unassuming kind of members of the team in front of us and seeing what we can do to uh, draw out those uh, leadership qualities um, within them. I'm interested in, so once, once you have identified potential leaders in your unassuming bunch, is it possible to teach some of the qualities that you've, you've just gone through there? Yeah, no, the interesting thing about these qualities that I've found is um, a lot of research has backed this up too, which is that it's really not about skill or God-given ability. Uh, there's some of that. I mean, they were obviously good athletes, but most of them weren't incredibly superior athletes. Uh, they didn't have oodles of natural charisma. People weren't immediately drawn to them. Uh, they weren't shiny and obvious in the way that a lot of uh, people we associate with great leadership are. Um, really, a lot of the things that they did day-to-day, hour-to-hour in the context of their team, this was about behavior. It wasn't about talent or, or, or natural ability. It was about the willingness to do it uh, and, and the ability to do it and, um, and, and just 
behaving in a certain way. Mm. And behavior can be emulated. Um, the best study that I found was done on the uh, soldiers in the Israeli army, and it looked at um, soldiers who had won medals for heroism. And the researchers who did this incredible study uh, you know, really believed there were three elements. There was potential. Uh, only a certain number of people have potential uh, to be great leaders. But it is a pretty big group, and, and most teams should have someone who has that potential. Um, but the second part of it is motivation. And, and without the motivation to be a leader, uh, you, you'll never meet your potential. And, and, but still, there are a fair number of people that have both. They usually come as kind of a twin set. But the, the last thing is development, and that's where everyone else comes in. I think smart GMs and people who um, are, are taking a really good, holistic look at the talent that they have, um, they'll be able to see that uh, you need to put but someone who has leadership potential and motivation, you need to get them around the team and, and, and allow them to apprentice and understand the craft of leadership before they're put into a, a leadership role hmm. and given some time. All the captains that I studied had some time before they actually assumed the, the captaincy. And I, and I think that development is crucial. The key is that the problem is that I think a lot of people who are making these decisions, they're, they're not looking in the right place. They're looking for the obvious leader or the leader who seems to resonate with the fans as the leader. Or they're just saying, hey, he's the best player. He's inherently the leader anyway. Um, and, and these are all bad decisions. And, and so they're not creating these circumstances where someone like this can gain all the tools they need to become a great leader. Mm. Um, because we're just not, we don't recognize them. Mm -hmm. you know, these people don't lobby for the job. They're not people who want the job for the prestige that it conveys. Mm -hmm. They want to do it because they, they have to get it right. Mm -hmm. And they feel a responsibility to get it right. And that's not the motivation that we're used to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in fact, the divisiveness and the aggression that you sometimes see, the, um, uh, the rule breaking is another one of the qualities I didn't mention, but the, this desire to break rules and, and uh, play the limits of the rules. Those kinds of things tend to disqualify people from leadership in our eyes because they don't seem like leaders when really these are the characteristics of someone who fits this profile. Mm. So we kind of have to change our mindset and start uh, creating opportunities for people to develop these skills. Okay, Alex Van Pelt, QB coach at the Green Bay Packers. Nice and easy one to start with. Um, can you tell me how long that you've been uh, in that role and what your responsibilities are? Well, yep, uh, with, with the Packers now for six years, and uh, this will be my third year coaching the quarterbacks. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, uh, you just come off stage. Um, part of that session you were talking about... Um, how to sort of uh, refocus the players, how to do some activities um, that take their mind off football, relax them, stimulate some creativity. You were saying something quite interesting about um, quizzes and trivia. You, you, I mean, explain a bit more about that. Yeah, so Friday, once we wrap up with our sessions and our, you know, our, our coaching session, we're getting through a certain area of the game plan. And Friday's the end of the week in our process. So we're kind of wrapping everything up. Everything's been installed. And the last 45 minutes of, the, of our meeting time, We'll go on to uh, any website that has trivia. Yeah. It could be world history, it could be geography, it yeah. could be uh, movie posters, anything. But it just gives us a chance to, to kind of reset everything, get your mind off of football, yeah. and uh, take, take it to another creative level. So you're still thinking, you're still firing the, you know, the brain, yeah. but it's not football related. It's kind of fun, it's competitive. And uh, you know the guys really seem to enjoy it. Now once that's over, it's all back to football. But it's kind of a, it's kind of reward for them too. At the end of the week, hey, you put in all this work, 
and we're finished now. So let's let's have a little bit of fun too while we're still competing and thinking. Yeah. And which one of your guys is is, is best at that? Oh, Aaron by far. Yeah. yeah he's uh, he's off the charts. Yeah. He's you, really good. You mentioned he he beat an astronaut he at did. Jeopardy. They had a celebrity Jeopardy, and he uh, he beat one of the astronauts that was on the space station. Mm -hmm. I forget which one gentleman it was, but uh, that right there tells you the yeah. intelligence level. Yeah. yeah. Um, Going to the to the football side, um, simple question: What makes uh, a, a young quarterback stand out? Uh, athletically, mm -hmm. obviously, you have to have the, the athletic ability. Uh, for me, um, natural leadership abilities. I think those are two of the things that you look for in a young player. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that those leadership abilities aren't always present, or they're not in a position where they feel like they can express themselves as leaders mm -hmm. because of their youth. Um, so, you know, if you got a guy that you think can lead, encourage him to do it, you know, and help him along the way. I think that's one of the, the things that, uh, you know, uh, that I like to do is, is teach people how to lead. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a huge part. People don't quite understand how to do it and ways to do it. And uh, giving somebody that power to uh, make them feel like, hey, I'm a leader now, I can lead these guys. I think that's one of the, the, the greatest things about the game and about leadership in general. You've been there for six years. Um, can you tell me about how the tech involved might have uh, evolved over that period? Obviously, people are getting excited about VR now and right. what that means for training. Sure. No, it's a big part. I think in any way you can teach these guys to learn you know, different ways, especially this generation. If you can incorporate something like a virtual reality or something like a Madden, mm -hmm. you know, what they're used to doing and they want to do it anyway, yeah. uh, it's just another way to stimulate and get them to learn. Yeah. Um, we've gone from uh, paper paper play playbooks to iPad playbooks now, yeah. so that's something that's happened in the last you know, six or seven years. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our, we're always trying to grow in that tech side. You know, uh, the analytical side has now come aboard. You know where that was never a part of football before so now yeah. you get the analysts in there with the crunching the numbers and all that so yeah. it, it's evolving it surely is so. uh, anybody who who has who performs at a high level and expects something of themselves usually creates a kind of field of opposition some thing or some one or some group that they're they define themselves in opposition to mm -hmm. the people that they're going to prove wrong mm -hmm. and that's very evident when somebody's starting out mm -hmm. uh, and it's something that you can activate mm -hmm. and and activate in a very very productive way mm -hmm. um, because what happens to people is they get things to lose. If they've been successful, then they have something to lose. And when they have something to lose, they have something to protect. And that makes them more conservative. Mm -hmm. That makes them more pliant. Mm -hmm. And activating that sense of defiance that actually they don't care. Mm -hmm. Do you really care what this person thinks? Do you really care what this sports writer thinks or what this critic thinks? Mm -hmm. Do you really care? And can you, pr and, and, and what, why don't you uh, uh, activate that space mm -hmm. of not caring what anybody thinks? Well, what about the people um, that have had success, maybe they're a little bit further down their career, 
objectively, you know, they've taken the stress of their jobs away. Um, you know, they've got nothing to prove anymore. You were talking on stage about um, the guys who, who get big deals, $3 million a movie, five movie deals. They never have to work again, but they carry on doing it. How do you try to stimulate that defiance uh, urge in these people as well? Or? Absolutely. I mean, again, depending on whether I feel that it's, it's essential, mm -hmm. um, I think that everybody has something that they're defending. Mm -hmm. And also, most people who have been successful understand what it meant when they were absolutely free. And they savor that freedom. It does not get easier for somebody as they get older, more experienced, and more successful. It gets harder. They have more to lose. And they're... Um, and all of the all of the surrounding circumstances tend to encourage a conservative step forward, a judicious uh, exposing of oneself, all of the things that were probably antithetical to why they got there in the first place, which was they were, you know, balls to the wall to get it done. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to activate. Yeah. You're trying to activate that spirit and also the, the joy that comes together with that. Yeah. That's more fun yeah. than yeah. worrying about what they're going to write about you in the paper. In your experience, um, is there a, a type in drama, in, in theater, in, in movies? You, you know how in, in music the, the stereotype is for the, the diva, you know, someone who is supremely talented but very high maintenance in terms of what they expect and how they expect to be treated. Is there a similar sort of type in your experience for, for leading men, leading women in, in, in drama? It certainly does exist, but I wouldn't... I wouldn't say that you could easily apply um, a, 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 a consistent standard. Yeah. You couldn't say, oh no, this is what it takes. Yeah. Actually, there's quite a diversity of personalities mm -hmm. across this. The diva, and most noteworthy, because I direct a lot of opera, comes from the opera world. Yeah. And that tradition is one that mirrors their sense of, of being being uh, super great and uh, almost supernaturally talented comes from the fact that they are supernaturally vulnerable. Their voices are vulnerable. If they get a cold, they're vulnerable. If they don't get enough sleep, you can hear it in their voice. And so I believe that the assertion of the identity of the diva is compensatory for the fact that they're fragile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Finally, and a bit, a bit of a, a sideways move here, but we're asking everyone um, to, to think back at what might be the biggest mistake of their career. We're sort of trying to put together some uh, lessons learned from big mistakes. So can you think about one? Well, yes. I think the biggest mistake of my career was when I first was given, I was quite young, and I was given... Um, extraordinary resources. I was given more money than I'd ever had to create a project. And it was actually the utilization of those resources that 
annihilated the project. And that was also because I was pointing at myself. It was a big forum, it was a big opportunity, it was, um, and, and no one said no. What was the project? Can you be it was, the project was at the Yale Repertory Theater, um, and it was a production of a play by Ibsen called okay. Lid Lie Off. And I, uh, it was a, it was, it was really a great opportunity for me at my, t at the time I was in my 20s. It was, um, and no one said no. So I had no resistance. And it was as though I had enough rope to hang myself, mm. which I did very, very, very successfully. Well, you bounced back. <laughs> Travis Preston, California Institute of the Arts, thank you very much. Thank you. Clay Helton, uh, head coach, USC Trojans football. Thank you very much uh, for being with us. You've just come off stage here at the Leaders Sport mm -hmm. Performance Summit. You've been talking about um, millennials uh, and how uh, you're coaching and communicating with millennials. Um, could you, you've been a coach for, for 20 years, you know, you, you've, you've gone through several different generations, I suppose, and different labels of generations. Could you speak to how the way that you're coaching and communicating has changed with the players, even just in the last two or three years? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest challenge for us in today's time uh, is the engagement with the players. Um, um, the lecture format is not as effective nowadays um, uh, because of the attention span. Um, and um, that we're dealing with with, with student-athletes. Um, I think that we have to be more creative in the ways that we engage and engage learning. Mm -hmm. um, that um, instead of, uh, I have found that the more um, physical repetition and visual stimulation that you give that you give student athletes mm -hmm. uh, is helpful. It keeps them more engaged. Um, the ability to make them communicate um, in today's time something that you know they're used to communicating on phone and mm -hmm. social media, mm -hmm. but physical communication uh, is imperative. And, and I think that's the biggest attribute right now in today's time in dealing with student athletes is just the making them make their full focus and full engagement mm -hmm. in what you're trying to get accomplished. Mm -hmm. You're obviously a, a coach in uh, college sports, huge over here in the US, but obviously a department attached to an academic organization, mm -hmm. lots mm -hmm. of teachers yes. um, are your colleagues over at, the, the, at USC. Obviously they're dealing with similar, well they're mm -hmm. de dealing with the same age group and the mm -hmm. way that they communicate and teach has to change as well. Are you sort of able to share methods of communication with the teaching staff as yeah, well? Yeah, actually I got an opportunity to speak uh, to our business school the other day and actually teach a class, which uh, was which was really neat. How so, was that? Uh, it was wonderful, it was wonderful. So, uh, um, But I, I think that's the challenge for all of us. I, I consider coaching as, as, as being an educator um, and I think all of us as educators are, are learning new and different ways to engage our students, whether mm -hmm. they're football players or students in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I just think the old days of just getting getting up there and talking for an hour and assuming that they're learning what you're talking about mm -hmm. or, or, or grasping the knowledge that you're trying to give them, mm -hmm. um, that assumption may be wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, a lot of times we try to engage the student to be able to speak back to us mm -hmm. um, in the facet of, hey, answer this question for me. Tell, let me hear you talk. Mm -hmm. um, to, to be able to, to make them a part of it, make them have some ownership in it. Um, engagement is key. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the reason that attention spans are, are shrinking is, is because distractions mm -hmm. are increasing. Mm -hmm. 
most of those distractions come through the form of a device. Mm -hmm. What's your, I mean, every sports team has got a rule on devices. You're allowed them yeah. some places, you're allowed them not, uh, in, you know, not allowed them in other places. What's it like at the Trojans? Allowed in the locker room, not allowed in meetings? How does it work? Well, you know, anytime that we go into a meeting style atmosphere or walk through atmosphere or on practice field, we put everything away. Our primary focus is the job at hand. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's so much information out there and they're, they're wanting to get to it so much. Um, and it's constant it's ever flowing and you get captured I have three kids of my own 19 17 and 13 and they're always on it and I literally have to make them put it away to be able to get something accomplished I think that you have to do the same with the student athletes when it's time to jump into the football module or the student module in a classroom mm -hmm. that those need to be put away mm -hmm. and let's focus on, on the job at hand mm -hmm. Um, you were just talking on stage with Michael Checker, head coach of mm -hmm. the Australian Rugby Union, and he was saying that um, headphones, you know, it's a big thing for sports teams mm -hmm. to, you know, mm -hmm. they, they psych themselves up mm -hmm. by listening to mm -hmm. music on personal mm -hmm. devices. He was saying, uh, I think that he's banned that, you know, if, mm -hmm. you're, if you're listening to music mm -hmm. to pump yourself up, you are um, not taking accountability for, mm -hmm. you know, for helping to prepare your teammates, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Do you have a similar thing? Do you allow headphones? Or? Well, you know, in a personal setting, um, you know, we do allow the music aspect of it. Mm. Um, you know, when we're on the football field, we're not. We, we don't have music on course, the field yeah. or anything. But I, I tell you what, to start a meeting, we'll actually play music and get there. You know, the number one form of entertainment in the world right now is music, yeah. uh, as proven by the numbers. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we do to try to create a fresh environment and to get them engaged in, in the event at hand is to start a meeting with music and you see them bouncing around and getting into it and, and the, their heartbeat and their juices are flowing and then you start the meeting and you've kind of woken them up yeah. and then you're going and the, your job after that is to keep them engaged. Who chooses the music? Is that uh, that's not me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a much younger soul that, that does that. Okay. Um, and so you became head coach just over a year ago. Yeah. Um, you've worked in lots of different coaching roles uh, throughout your career up to that. That transition from uh, essentially assistant yeah. to the, mm -hmm. the top dog, mm -hmm. how have you found that? I mean, assuming yeah. those new responsibilities. Yeah, it, it's been it's been really um, a thrill for me to have the opportunity to lead um, and not only develop our our players but also develop our coaches mm -hmm. um, to help them guide them through what I think is a changing time in, in coaching for us right now. Mm -hmm. um, for us, it's about evaluation and development. Uh, it's, it's about the evaluating the people that we're bringing into our organization and then developing them into what we want to be. Mm -hmm. And it takes a special person to be able to do that as a coach mm -hmm. and to be able to help guide them through what I think is really, really important, gaining that trust. Uh, of the student athlete is imperative and to gain trust of somebody one the players got to trust your character as a coach they got to trust that you can develop them um, they can got to trust that you care uh, about them as a person and then they got to trust that you're going to be brutally honest mm -hmm. with them um, the one thing I do appreciate about this generation is they're realists mm -hmm. I mean they want to be coached and they don't like BS mm -hmm. you know they want to be told don't sugarcoat it just tell me how I get better mm -hmm. um, and I appreciate that aspect of mm -hmm. it two aspects that I wanted to delve into mm -hmm. in terms of the transition to uh, to the top job first of all and this happens whenever anyone goes through the ranks and assumes a sort of uh, uh, top management role. You've had to go from being 
expert in an area to mm -hmm. being a generalist across yes. everything. Yes. Um, how, I mean, how easy has it been for you to let go, I suppose? Yeah, uh, it's the hardest part of it. Mm. Um, and I think the greatest leaders have to remember they, they're going into a management role of making sure that their experts in each field are developing the people up underneath them. Yeah. Are they showing what I was talking about, the trust factor? Mm -hmm. um, are, are they being the men that can develop the people underneath them, whether it's players or, or coaches that are underneath them? Um, are, they, are they showing the care and concern for the individuals? Um, are, they, are they being brutally honest with them? And you're helping them through that uh, and seeing their production it's so hard because you want to you want to always lean towards your strength and what you're an expert in but that's not your role as a leader your your role as a leader is to manage each expert and making sure he's doing exactly what you want in your culture mm -hmm. second aspect of the uh, the top job that I want to talk about is the what must be a significant added pressure you know the buck stops with mm -hmm. you now uh, win or lose mm -hmm. the finger's going to be you know, you're either going to be celebrated or you're going to be blamed mm -hmm. first of all do you feel that added pressure and second of all if you do what's your preferred way of dealing with it yeah you know i think that's a great point because i think that's a really really important point with this generation is how you deal with adversity. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in a production-based business um, in football and in several different businesses around the country. Um, you know, and when you're in a production-based business and you're based on wins and losses, um, if it's not happening, um, the young, the young, this younger generation is looking to see how you react. Um, and they'll react how you do. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're not poised, if you show panic, if you show over emotion, mm -hmm. um, they take it as a sign of, oh gosh, you know, maybe that leader doesn't know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you have to be firm in your belief in what you're doing, firm in your process. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's going good or bad, just look at to see, are you getting better with each step? If there's progress being made, that is great. Um, in today's time, we want immediate the results um, and sometimes those results take a little bit longer and it's your job as a leader mm -hmm. to stay poised and not panic that, and just say hey you know what it is a process we're gaining ground with each step and you know down the road we're going to be very happy people if we stay committed to this mm -hmm. of course before they emulate your behavior they'll probably film it and put it on social media oh, no, first. Question. <laughs> no question um final question um you, you, well, actually, I've got two more questions. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you talked earlier about um, seeing your role as you know you're an educator. Mm -hmm. You're you're in the education business. Mm -hmm. um, that being the case, you are nevertheless a coach of a of a sports team. Mm -hmm. So there there has to be an element of carrot and stick. You know, incentive mm -hmm. and disincentive. Mm -hmm. How do you strike the balance of being an educator, a, a mm -hmm. resource for people to go to, mm -hmm. but also something of an authoritarian? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I go back to relationships, um, and I've always approached it this way. Um, I have three children by birth. Mm -hmm. I have 105 I get the honor to adopt, mm -hmm. um, and I approach it that way. I approach it, and I tell the guys that I approach it like I'm raising you as my child. Mm -hmm. And part of being a parent and part of being a leader and an educator is to be able to uh, – 
as I say, to be coached is to be loved. Mm -hmm. And sometimes hard coaching is exactly what you need. The brutal, honest truth is exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I doesn't I don't love you. It mm -hmm. means I do love you. Yeah. I'm telling you exactly what you need to do to get better in this certain area. And sometimes that brutal honesty is needed and that discipline is needed. Um, and they appreciate it because they see it as I'm a member of Coach's family. Yeah. I'm a part of his family. I'm, I'm treated just like I'm treated like his older son. Yeah. Tough love. Tough love. Tough love. Dara Harris, hello. Your third appearance on the Leaders Sport Performance Summit Wrap Up yes. Podcast. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing, doing well. Good. You were. Uh, we're at the end of the day now here at yes. the Leaders Sport Performance Summit in Los Angeles. Um, you have had a whole day of um, listening and learning after being up first on yes, the. Uh, it's the on easiest the way to do it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, uh, well, let's start. Let's start with your session in the morning. I mean, um, you, who did you have with you? Remind I had Alex me? Van Pelt. Alex Van Pelt from the Green Bay Packers. Yes. Quarterback coach, and then Travis Preston, who's yes. the dean of Cal Arts. Yes. And it was individualism versus the team ethic, wasn't right? It? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what were the? I mean, you're you're very good at this sort of crossover panels, aren't you? Yes. I mean, you They're did, my favorite. Yeah. This is my happy place. Yeah. I think what was really interesting was seeing that. No matter where you're performing, they certainly understood big egos, mm. um, which I hear a lot about in sports settings. But for them, it wasn't so much the ego, which could be confidence, mm. but it was when it tipped into selfishness, mm -hmm. when what you needed was bigger than the team or that you were unable to see. And I thought that was echoed mm -hmm. in different places. So building up the individual isn't the problem. Yeah. It's when they can't see yeah. other needs. Yeah, I think a uh, similar message came through in Sam Walker's session. Did you see yes. Sam's session? He was yes. talking about his book. Uh, we're yet to be released. Released 16th of May, I believe. And we got early copies. Yeah, we've got early copies, which is good. Um, but his talk was about captaincy and really about leadership, but with a, a sort of mm. sports setting. And I think mm -hmm. what came through there was... Leaders come in all shapes and sizes, but um, they're often not what we archetypally, you know, our stereotype of what a leader Isn't is. Isn't that you know, a it's, beautiful thing? It's, it's something amazing, we need yeah. now, yeah. right? Yeah. When things get divisive, to yeah. recognize that you're not going to find it by the things you think you can use, yeah. so that you should actually then pay attention to the moment and the leader in front of you, yeah. rather than what your stereotype yeah. is. Yeah. So the, the big question that I wanted to ask you, Tara, yes. was... Um, I mean, a big question, more sort of a <laughs> rambling question. I like uh, but it. based Let's on that, that, so um, we've had lots of good sessions here today, you know, um, uh, including your one in the morning mm. and Sam's one um, that we've just referenced. But it seems to me that on an individual level, um, an event like this, there's so much information that's thrown at you, you know, there's so much advice, you know, do this, do that, be a good leader this way, be a good leader that way. And a lot of it seems to be, you know, sometimes conflicting. Right. How do you make sense of it? You know, how, how, mm -hmm. how do you take something away from an event like this? I mean, what should the process be? Should you just sort of um, condense it down and decide to take one or two things and try and sort of infuse them into right. your daily existence? I mean, what, what, what do you do on, on the back of something like this? So while I'm watching, I'm taking notes, and I'm taking visual notes. I'm drawing, so right. I'm, I'm trying to select for relevance even when I'm sitting in the room. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, okay, I like this idea, I like that idea. Mm. But then you're right, at the end, I still have pages of ideas and notes. Mm. And like... When we're even talking about data and sports, it's always sorting for relevance. Mm. So when I'm teaching, 
One of the biggest things that I work with on feedback is identifying the learner's edge, mm -hmm. right? Because you can waste this beautiful monologue on all the things they need to change, but you're not meeting them where they are. Mm -hmm. You're not at their learning edge, so it doesn't matter. It just becomes noise to them. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece, and Andy Walsh was talking about it too, where there's this little bit of fear and challenge. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to find the same thing for myself. So mm -hmm. I actually think making fear your routine mm -hmm. is a really fun way to do this. So okay, let's go through the things, give it maybe a night to digest, you look back through your notes. What are you afraid of doing? Mm -hmm. Or even what do you think is stupid initially? Mm -hmm. Now, if it's your area of expertise and you say something stupid, it's probably because you know things about it. Yeah. But if you first look at something like, oh, I don't want to do that, or that makes me scared, or I can't imagine doing it, mm. I actually think that's your own internal indicator. Mm -hmm. You're at your learning edge. Like personal discomfort, you mean, when, yes. when you say fear, personal discomfort exactly. rather than rather than you're scared of going against convention or something even like that. Even though that could be interesting too, because yeah. then your fear is yeah. to be an outlier, so then try yeah. that. So even if you build in little fear games for yourself at a conference, you, know, you go to a couple of these, you start knowing people. Yeah. So now make it that you have to meet one new person in each of the breaks. Yeah. Wherever you would feel uncomfortable doing yeah. it, that's the place to learn. So that is the advice, I believe, that... Um, who was the guy? Was it William Shatner doing the uh, Oh, yeah, so we just worked in Shatner, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, was it Shatner doing the vocals on Always Wear Sunscreen? Or was that Baz Luhrmann doing I don't know. You we'll know the song. Consult you, the Google. You, yeah, we'll consult. We'll consult Google. <laughs> but you know the song, though. Always wear sunscreen. Do one. Uh, do one thing each day that scares you, and then lots of nice. advice. Dance, even when uh, no one can see you, and yeah. all of that sort of thing. I'm a big fan of kitchen dancing. Yeah. Yes. Well, sure. Who isn't? I mean, there's a big ad campaign at the moment going on in the UK. Uh, really? Sainsbury's big supermarket has decided. Well, obviously, has done the research and learned yeah. that. Lots of people do kitchen dancing on their nice. own, and they've got this whole campaign around. It's actually really good. Yeah, yeah. no hip hop yeah. and kitchen dancing. Oh, you do hip hop. Oh, hip. absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, What's obviously. your jam at the moment? <laughs> I'm actually doing the uh, Deadpool soundtrack, so it's not super appropriate, okay, sure. but it gets you pumped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and ready to go. We're talking to, uh, in fact, I um, spoke to uh, Clay Helton earlier, and oh, yeah. he was saying that um, c communicating with millennials, communicating with Gen yes. Z, or whatever you want to call them, young people. Right. Um, attention spans really short, so they're actually. I think this is the case for a lot of football teams over here in the states. Yes. They use music as a framing thing before delivering messages. So, so much sense. You pump people up to the, rather than them get themselves in their own sort of frame of right. mind using their own personal music. They pump people up to a point where right, you are now amped up and ready to hear like one or two messages and then try and sustain right. this feeling. Yeah, so it's very much like dancing it in a kitchen. Is. Isn't and it? it's all of us trying to find where people are willing to learn. Yeah. And so if it just strikes you as yeah, yeah, it's probably not the thing that's gonna hook your curiosity mm. and really actually take you to that next step. I think looking back on the all the different roads I've taken which are so different from a straight physician path, mm. curiosity is always the best indicator. Mm. And if I'm a little bit uncomfortable it's mm -hmm. a good motivator mm -hmm. so curiosity is the indicator what's the idea that bubbles up yeah. even after you've had time yeah. and then get a discomfort. little bit of the discomfort as the motivator because it keeps you sharp you know fear keeps yeah. you on edge and you know yeah keeps the... and it's your it's like your internal check system of okay I'm probably doing something I haven't done before yeah. so it gives you kind of a novelty indicator because yeah. when I look at people who get stuck yeah. it's just going over the same material and only digging in their expertise yeah and I think the idea should be push yourself to do something else. Yeah, I just think, you know, do one thing each day that scares yes. you. 
Maybe and one big thing. Maybe that's a lot, you know? That's 365 things of... Good thing we've got all kinds of fears. Almost yeah. people, you know, public speaking, yeah. meeting someone, making yeah. eye contact, yeah. many different things. Yeah. But even um, for the last 10 years, every um, year, I take a week to do something I always wanted to do since I was a kid, but that potentially scares me. Mm -hmm. So it's been screenwriting, mm -hmm. wilderness medicine, anything. Wilderness medicine. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, uh, maybe, maybe. Now I'll that's do what that. you need to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what I'll do as well. Deborah House, yeah. thank you very much yeah. indeed. Great.